Well, hey, come on back. Come on back and um, open up your Bibles to Luke 18, but put your finger there because I'm going to start us in Exodus 20. Can you believe that? Yeah, what? Yeah. Hey, three more announcements. These are important. Next Sunday after church, that's May 2nd, right? Somebody look at their watch or their date. Is next Sunday May 2nd? Okay, next Sunday, May 2nd, our sister Judy Lloyd went home to be with the Lord last week, and we're having her memorial service here at the church after the service at 1.30. So stay and pray will be uh, not happening, but we will be having a memorial service. Now, this is interesting. Judy's mother went here at this church for a long time, and she never had a memorial service when she passed away. So guess what we're going to do? We're going to have a memorial service for both Belle and Judy. We're going to have it here at 1.30. If you want to help set up food or clean up food, Jan's not in here, but see her after uh, or see Sarah Zimmer after uh, to set up or clean up for the food, okay? Hey, if you want to be on the donuts team, uh, you say you say donuts team, uh, Come on, really? Donuts? And you say, well, really, should we be eating donuts? And my answer is probably not me, but we eat donuts here. You think, well, come on, is that anything? I'm going to tell you something. I used to go get them every week. God, thank the Lord uh, some other f- people have done it, but really, not really. <laughs> I got to share for about six months with the same cashier. She had lost a baby. She told me that over donuts just checking out, because she was asking me where I was going to take the donuts. So, hey, it's an opportunity to get out and to share the gospel and to bless us. If you want to be on donuts team, isn't that funny? Check with Xander, okay? Check with Xander. We're going to be doing that. Judy's Memorial Donuts. Right after this service, okay, I just was praying for all of us and just sensing that we need to get outside of ourselves a little bit. So uh, John Kennedy put me in touch with the Calvary pastor, a Calvary pastor in Philly, uh, who does missions, talked to him. He set me up with a guy um, that's the coordinator between Samaritan's Purse and churches. And Samaritan's Purse is heavily involved in um, uh, rebuilding in the Gulf Coast, uh, because as you know, there's been... Uh, tornadoes and floods, and it's just still in many places a wreck. So we have three guys who basically have committed to going, who know their way around a hammer. So you know that it's not me. (laughs) But they're going to go, and uh, if you're interested in that, and it doesn't matter, you know, lady, man, whatever, Come see me afterwards. What I'm going to do now is some guys have committed to this. If you want to go, or at least you know you just have an interest in it, I'm going to talk with the guy from Samaritan's Purse this week and get some possible dates and see if we can match up and we can go. Okay? So if you want to be a part of that, uh, come see me after. Last thing. Listen, here's a Bible track. They're all over the churches or the church. They're in the back thing on the wall that holds stuff. What's that called? I don't know. (laughs) Holder thingy. And they're downstairs in the holder thingy. Same looking. Why don't you take this and carry it with you? And you can share the gospel everywhere you go. 
right here, gospel tract. They're blue. Along with that, if you want, on the back table is a You're Invited card. There's hundreds of them back there. Put one of these in your wallet or your purse and invite somebody to church, okay? Let's be an inviting church. All right, Luke 18. How about that? But before we go to Luke 18, let's read Exodus 20. I bet you know what's in Exodus 20. I bet you know. Some of you are saying, what is it? Some others of you are saying, why would you take me to Exodus 20? Well, Exodus 20, I know this. I don't know a lot, but I do know this. It's in the Old Testament. It's the giving. Oh, yeah. It's the giving of the um, commandments. And I wanted to begin by reading through the commandments because Jesus is going to refer to them today. So let's do this. Exodus 20, verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Here, I always do this. You shall have no other gods before me. That's one. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. That's two. Go down to uh, uh, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Three. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Four. Honor your father and your mother. Take note of that, kids. But anyway, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. And you shall not covet the censure, man. The censure. For the self-deceived, you go, oh, yeah, well, I don't really do one through nine. Ten gets you, if you're being honest. Actually, all of them get you, but ten really gets you. Come on now. You've never coveted anything Yeah, it gets you. Paul said it just tripped him up. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife, his servant, his female servant, etc. Now flip over to Luke 18 with that backdrop. We also looked at the beginning today, if you weren't up here quite yet, if you were still fighting the traffic to get here on 837 and uh, you came in a little late, that's a joke, uh, uh, then... You may, may not have heard this, but in Luke chapter 12, verse 34, this thing that Jesus, this, uh, these words that Jesus tells us that's tied to worrying. Don't raise your hand, but anybody here a worrier? Yeah, I'd say all of us would flip them up, right? He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In Luke chapter 12, verse 34, and now we get to Luke 18, because what are we doing? We're learning and growing together, aren't we, folks? Are we learning and growing together? Isn't that the beauty of this place and all churches that are teaching the Bible? We're, we're learning and growing together how to treasure Christ. Don't you want to treasure Christ more and more? Yes, we do. For those who've surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, we want to treasure Christ more and more. A deeper walk with thee. Isn't, should that be a song or not? And over the last few uh, weeks, as we've been moving through the book of Luke, we're learning that Luke is the universal gospel. It doesn't matter what color you are. You can be any color. You could be any socioeconomic status. You could be on that side of the tracks, this side of the tracks. You can have big house, little house, no house. You can have the most fantastic occupation or the least occupation, whatever it is, or no occupation, but we're all equal in Jesus Christ. And Luke wants you to know that like in a big time way. He really wants you to know it. 
And in this particular chapter, we've gotten all the way, all the way through verse 17 of Luke 18. And the first thing that we talked about last week is that men and women, boys and girls who are followers of Jesus Christ, listen to this, always ought to pray. If you're a praying person, you'll be a persistent person because you won't give up. You're not going to faint. But here's the beautiful part of this. Here's the grace of God. This isn't a sermon for you to feel bad because you're not a prayer. We're here to show you the grace of God, and the grace is found in the word ought. You're like, what? It's a word in the Greek that can mean and does mean, listen, a binding together. <laughs> and when he says we always ought to pray, the, the, those times that we spend in prayer, not just to stay and pray, but all the time, in our personal time, listen to what we're doing. We're binding ourselves to the Lord. Aye. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? It gives a whole different spin on what praying is. It's not I have to pray in the mornings. It's not I have to pray at night. Man, I get to, to be with my Lord and Savior. He makes it possible for me to come into the throne of room of grace uh, to find mercy and grace, and I can come boldly. I don't have to fear anymore. Of course, I have reverential fear, but I come by the blood of Christ. I can come right up there. I can do it while I'm shaving. I can do it when I'm driving my car. I can do it washing the dishes. Anytime, I can come to the throne room of grace. And none of you are Jewish here, maybe except one or two people. Nobody's Jewish here except one or two people, so it doesn't really hit with you. But with, with, with people who are Jewish, who especially in biblical times, had to raise a pet. All those years, and, and just keep bringing it down to the priest and to see it walk through that gate and and blood just to get that you could see through there and just kind of get a glimpse of where the Holy of Holies was. You don't see the Holy of Holies, but you kind of see it that you know it's back there. And it's so hard to get to the Lord in the Old Testament in a way. And here we come right to the throne room of grace. We ought to always pray and not lose heart. That was the message last week. And we saw this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And I want to call your attention to verse 14 there. The, the tax collector, the most hated person in all of Israel probably, the Romans hated him because they knew he was a traitor to his own countrymen, and the Jewish folks hate him because they knew he was a traitor to his own countrymen. He was getting it from both sides. This one goes to his house justified, which is just a real fancy way of saying he came into a relationship with God through Jesus. You, when you surrender your life to Christ, you become justified. It's a spiritually judicial decree that you're not guilty before God. That's righteousness. You now have right standing before God, and you receive his righteousness. So when you die, unless the Lord comes back first, and I got news for us, a hundred out of a hundred of us are going to die unless the Lord comes first. But see, we're preparing for it. When you die, the Lord's, God's going to say, oh, you have the righteousness of my son. Come on in. Isn't that amazing? So he's justified, but I want you to call your attention then to verse 17. As Jesus has little children brought to him. And by the way, I, listen, I'm just going to say this. 
<laughs> Some of the old school Calvary guys are going to get mad at me right now. Man, it's good to see kids in here. <laughs> we don't have the resources right now to put them in kids' school, Sunday school, before worship. I get it. If you say that at a Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference, some people would freak out because the tradition was put them. We don't have that right now. I'm thankful there are kids here. And we, maybe they're a little boisterous. Maybe they like to run around. But look here. Jesus said, bring them to me. Keep bringing them, man. So don't feel bad. I've had four little kids myself. And I know they can do those things. Jesus said, don't forbid them. Bring them. Now, I'm not getting mad at the other Calvaries or anything like that. I'm just saying, we've been without the kids for a while. It's a blessing to have them. And he says in verse 17, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever doesn't receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And the, the thing that we need to remember, listen, is we come helpless to God. And now we talked about it. We have a new baby in our family, not from me, but... And that thing is dependent on mom and dad. There's no way it's making it without mom and dad. Especially mom. Sorry, Xander. There's no way. And that's how we come to God, our Father. Spiritually helpless. But here's the problem. Americans have a self-deceived notion. That thing that I just said through the word goes right over from Americans' head. They're like, yeah, yeah. But we're Americans and we've heard the gospel and we know well, listen to this story then. And I want you to notice in verse 18, there's this ruler who asks him, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? I'm going to read the whole passage here in a minute, but I want you to see something. Right here within about five or six or seven verses, Jesus is talking about how you come into the family of God. Justification how do we receive the kingdom of God? Little kids, like a little kid. And now this amazingly wealthy, rich, young guy says, how do we get eternal life? And Jesus tells us, which is fascinating because I do use the back of a magazine sometimes. All the scriptures write out, you know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Uh, blah, 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 blah. And I use the formula. Jesus doesn't use a formula right here. And he's talking about eternal life. He didn't say, read them one, two, three, four, make sure. No, Jesus didn't do that. So let's look at it. A certain ruler, the word of God says, asked him, asked who? Asked Jesus, saying, good teacher, what shall I do to e inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. And now here you'll know why I read you Exodus 20. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. Did he read them all the commandments, yes or no? No, he doesn't. And he said, all these things have kept, or I have kept from my youth. All these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. 
And when Jesus saw that he had become very sorrowful, he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, who then can be saved? We're talking about salvation here, folks. But he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, see, we have left all and followed you. That's funny. You should be chuckling right there. And yet I would ask it too. So he said to them, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. See, this is about eternal life. Then he took the 12 aside and said to them, if I was the 12, this probably isn't what I'm expecting, yet Jesus has told them this twice before in this gospel. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished, for he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted. And this one gets me spit upon. Phew. And they will scourge him and kill him. You don't know really much about scourging because it doesn't happen here. We'll talk about it in a minute. And the third day he will rise again, Jesus says. But they understood none of these things. Isn't that fascinating? This saying was hidden from them, and they didn't know the things which were spoken. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, and he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. So he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So mark this. Jesus stood still. Remember where he's going, folks. He's, going to mar he's marching to his death and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight, followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Let's pray. Lord, we need help with this. <laughs> help us to understand these words that come from you, your son, and help us to, to learn and grow in them and give us the ability by your spirit to live them out, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, this story of the rich young ruler in verse 18 you can find it in three of the Gospels, not in John. You can find it in three of the Gospels, uh, not in John. And we know that he's young, and we know from Matthew that he's rich. You've got to put them all together. He's rich. He's a rich, young ruler. And before we start this sermon, we're going to talk about riches, but this story ain't necessarily about riches. If you turn to John chapter 2, go there. I think it's John chapter 2. Jesus, yeah, it's John chapter 2. It just came to me. So, <laughs> verse 24. Know this about Jesus. 
But Jesus didn't commit himself to them. This is at the beginning of John because look at this. He knew all men. Jesus was the great surgeon of spiritual things. He knows what's inside of the men and women of that time. He knows what's inside of you. And I'm talking about your thoughts, your feelings, your attitudes, your actions, what's really going on up here, not the fake stuff you say, like, praise God, sister, and you're saying, man, I can't stand her, or whatever. He knows. He knows where we need spiritual surgery. In fact, if you go over into verse, or chapter 3, verse 19, Jesus is saying something to Nicodemus about the new birth And he goes, and this is the condemnation in verse 19, that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light. See, I grew up thinking that men were basically good. People were basically good. The Bible says men are basically bad (laughs) because we've fallen short of the glory of God and we all have a problem. We have a sin nature and we sin. And we're slaves to sin. And Jesus knows it. That's what I want you to see before we begin in Luke 18. Because what I'm trying to tell you is there's a rich young ruler who has a hang-up about wealth. But see, you and I might have a different hang-up. You remember the lady at the well in John chapter 4? We're right here. A Samaritan woman at the well. She didn't have a hang-up about wealth. She didn't idolize wealth. She didn't put wealth first. Guess what she put first? Relationships. She had five husbands, and she was living with a sixth. Not a husband, but you you get it. Living with a man. So we see it in the Gospels that people have idols, and they're not necessarily these little carved images that we put on the, the, the mantle. There's anything that has our affections or that hold our affections more than Christ. And I'd say the number one is you, me, self. We are lovers of self. We are people who idolize relationships. Don't make your spouse your idol. Don't make your children... Your idol. Don't make your career your idol. Don't make your wealth your idol. Jesus calls us to be a one string guitar, <laughs> to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. That sounds like two, but see, but you have to be. Paul said, I gave everything up just to know you. Just to know you. That's it. Just you. Listen, when we get to that place, see, the Bible tells us all the other things we can freely enjoy. But if you've got that flipped and they're up here, guess what's going to happen? You're not going to be enjoying things. You're going to be nervous and anxious and worried, and you're going to be dishonest. What are you talking about? Well, the Bible says this. You're like, what? What are you talking about? The Bible tells us that if wealth is our idol, look, you could look in Proverbs 38 and 9. When we're in poverty, it tends to promote dishonesty. You say, well, really? Yeah, because when we're idolizing money, that's all we want to get. (laughs) So we'll do anything to get it. Even if we got smiles and we're nice, 
we're running after it. Are you catching what I'm saying here? The Bible tells us that money does, isn't necessarily evil, Tim, 1 Timothy says, I think it's 6, but the love of money is what's evil, and the reason is it because it's very dangerous to us. The Bible calls it filthy lucre because it can take people and wreck them. I already said it. One of the things that it could do is it could make you dishonest. If you're in poverty, you cheat on your taxes, you don't report your income, all that sort of thing. You, people do it all the time. It can make you all those sort of things. It can make you so in pursuit of that thing, and we're talking money now, that you'll do anything to get it. And the weird part about it is, once you get it, you don't have enough. John Rockefeller, the richest guy in the world, and maybe that's ever been, they asked him, how much money is enough? And he said, a little more. You know, at the end of his life, he became a recluse. I mean, really weird stuff. Because he was so anxious, he was so depressed, he was so, because he was chasing after money. And the weird part is, when people chase after an idol, listen to this, whatever it is, money, marital, whatever, relationships, whatever, uh, prestige, power, career, when you chase after that, let's say you obtain that, you become good at making money. But you've neglected the weightier issues, the Bible says, of character and strength and peace and love and joy. So you basically come, become good at making money. But you think you're just good. Let that sit there for a minute. Well, I live in this neighborhood. I drive this car. I have this. And you, you, know, you look up over the tracks and say, wow, look at me. I'm glad I'm not like them. Come on, folks. And it's subtle. And the weird part about it is the more you have, it's like those Lay's potato chips, right? The more you eat, the more you have to eat. <laughs> Wasn't that a commercial when I was a kid? Anyway, whatever. So, so it's, it's dangerous, but, but the, the worst part about something like money is, or any idol, or any idol that you're pursuing it can really make you prideful. Just like I said, wow, look at all the money I've made. It's amazing, Lord. I'm such, and then, you know, you become a proud person. What is one of the things that the Lord hates? First thing on the list, he hates pride because you're not teachable, you're not pliable, you can't, listen, so, so, so we're to come to Jesus in a helpless way, like little children. And here comes a rich guy who's got all these problems. He's young. He's probably, you know, whatever. He's made money. He's, he's a ruler of some sort. He's got power. And he comes to them, or comes to him, and he says what the American people say. This is what we say. Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? We always ask that. What do I got to do? Tell me, how do I measure up? How do I perform? Because if I perform good enough, you'll accept me. And we grow up in families that don't teach grace-based parenting. It's you did good, you get good. You did bad, you get bad. It's like Santa Claus. And so we're raising a generation or more of people who are performance-based people, and we're raising them in the church with the stuff that we teach, like do better, 
I love it when a pastor gives me a do-better sermon. Because the question I always ask is, yeah, but how? Because in my flesh, I fail. I need, I need some grace here, man. I need some power. I need some resource. Because I know, left to myself, I can't do it. Are you catching me? And here comes this rich guy who's attained all this stuff. And he says something really unusual. He says, good teacher. See, you didn't call the rabbis good. You called them wise. It's, it's unusual here for anybody to say good teacher. And Jesus picks up on it. So he doesn't go, oh, let me get my four spiritual laws out of my thing. I'm, go, I'm ready to hammer you with this. By the way, I got saved with the four spiritual laws. So I, I'm cool with it. But he doesn't follow some formula. He's a right divider of the word. And he says, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus knows what's in man. He knows that men live darkness rather than light because the light is him. Listen, the light is him. So he sees when he says do that this guy is performance-based. And Jesus says to him, this is ingenious. The reason I read you the Ten Commandments is Jesus leaves out some of the Ten Commandments, and one he leaves out is the first one. You shall have no other gods before me. And one he leaves out is, you shall not covet. Both are his problems. Are you seeing this? Are you catching this? But he gives him, well, what about adultery? You ever done that? How about murder? How about stealing? How about bearing false witness? How about honoring your father and mother? Remember, he knows what's in man. And the guy says, all these things I have kept from my youth. Now, I don't think even the guy thinks he's sinless, but he, like Paul, would say he was a zealous pursuer of the law, and he'd done really well at it, and he'd given the offerings, and he'd done really well, or whatever he had to do here, uh, and, and, and he complied as, as best he can. As, but Jesus heard these things, and he says to him, but, but you know what, man? Listen, he's getting to grace. And the guy doesn't even know it. He says, well, what do you mean? You, you still lack one thing. What do you mean I lack one thing? I recognize you're a good teacher. Jesus in reply says, well, wait a minute. Why are you calling me good? There's nobody good but God. Do you see, see what he's moving towards? Jesus is God, fully God, fully man. He's not disavowing. He's not saying he's not deity. He's actually testifying that he is deity. He's trying to get him to agree that he is God. You see that? Then he does these commandments, leaves out the first, the book ends, the ones that this guy is struggling with. Isn't that interesting? He didn't hammer him with what he was struggling with. He was taking him to the grace of God. Fascinating. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. Yes, that's what we love to say. Don't we love to say this? Listen, if you're standing up here, you could say this to your congregation all day. Hey, man, I was here 50 times this year, and I looked on your prayer card back there, and you were here 43 times. <sighs> Slacker. <laughs> you could say stuff like that, or you could say it to somebody else, or you could get frustrated with the person who only comes and sets up the chairs half the time when they volunteer to do all the time while you're setting up the chairs. You, you could get really frustrated with them unless you knew this. You were volunteering because you wanted to serve the Lord, not compare yourself with somebody else. You, you, you know that your ministry is under the Lord, so 
you just do it because you want to do it joyfully as unto him. And whether another person comes or not, that's up to them. But he says, all these things I've kept from my youth. He's still going down that path that I have to do things to get to God. Give money, pray, read my Bible, all those things. You're going to accept me, Lord, if I do them. Yes. Jesus says, well, wait a minute now, pal. He doesn't say it like I'd say it, but he says, I know something about you. Jesus has his, the thumb right on the pulse of our spiritual lives. Every one of us, every single one of us, it's something different from you. You might love words of affirmation so much that you just crave it. It becomes your idol. You hate it when somebody criticizes you. So you try to just always please, 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 so everybody will like you. You've just made yourself an idol. <laughs> You'll never be happy, folks, because somebody's going to come down the pike and do it. He says, there's still one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. You're going to make two mistakes right here when you read this. You're going to say, oh, one mistake is to say, well, everybody should give up everything and take a vow of poverty. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Or you're saying, I don't have to do anything. He's saying, I know this isn't about wealth, and so I don't have to really pay attention to my wealth and my spiritual life. You've just made another mistake. There's somewhere in between. I know this isn't necessarily about money because I see the woman at the well. We talked about that in a minute. Somebody else had a problem. He says, Oh, I know, but I want you to worship me in spirit and truth, he says to the Samaritan woman. I want you to worship me in spirit and truth. That's how he, he approached her. There was a lady who was caught in adultery. They were getting ready to stone her. Jesus writes on the ground. She had an adultery problem. <laughs> and he says, well, where is everybody to condemn you? And she says, well, they all left because of what you did, basically. And he says, neither do I condemn you. But what else did he say? Go and sin no more. And, and, and in other words, what I'm trying to tell you is Jesus knew what was in each person. He knows what's inside of you. And one of the things that Christ is doing for us as we move towards him, as we come to know him, as we are surrendering all or as much as we can so that we will treasure Christ on our approach to God. When we come to God, we must be helpless spiritually and say this I'm going to quit striving to do stuff and just rest in what you've done. You say, what? How do you get that from here? Well, this one is selling all that you have and distributing to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. I want you to see this. He asked this guy to follow me. Now, what did it mean to be a disciple? It meant to... Leave your occupation behind for this time is to go and follow Jesus and learn from him and serve him and love him and be with him. And then after he dies and rises again, they would be the ones who would spread the message in the early church, right? That's what he was signing up for when Jesus says, follow me. I want you to see something just like you see in a lot of places in the Bible. I want you to see this. Look. Intellectually, he knows he's good. He knows it up here. Jesus says, okay, good. You're getting close here. You're getting really close. By the way, in another gospel, it says he came and fell at the feet of Jesus. 
He kneeled down. So intellectually, he's like, wow, this is the one. He's good. He's God. He's the Messiah. I know it intellectually. I'll even proclaim it. I'm interested in eternal life. This is like the church. People come to church. He's a good guy. I'm interested in eternal life. Let me check it out. And then Jesus says, I call you to a radical following of me. And gone. He misses his opportunity. He misses the opportunity. The Bible says today is the day of salvation, folks. I want you to see something, though, as I read to you where your treasure is, there your heart is also. You know what the Lord is calling us to right here? To give up our old wealth, whatever it is, and to be moved by a vision of new wealth. What is the new wealth? Come follow me. Come follow me. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You already, almost all of you know this verse, but I want you to see something. As you're turning there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I want you to notice something, folks. There isn't one young, rich ruler here in this story, and you've missed the second one. Listen, I'm going to say it again. There isn't just one rich ruler here. There's two rich rulers. He's right there all the time, and people miss it. What do I mean? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 9. Oh, verse 8, start there. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence uh, of others. For you know the grace, listen, grace, grace, grace. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. (laughs) That you through his poverty, might become rich. You see, if you turn back here, what Jesus is moving this guy from is that due mentality of performance to resting in the one rich ruler who came and accomplished all. So that Jesus gives up the most incredible Riches of all time, all the riches in the universe, that's Jesus. He has all the riches in the universe, all of them, and he comes, like Psalm 22 says, like a worm. The lowest of the low. He didn't despise the shame, Philippians chapter 2. He didn't get away from the shame. No, he bowed down to the will of the Father and received the shame of the cross, even in his nakedness, to die for you and I. He came out of heavens with all of the riches to become a nothing. So that you now put your faith in Christ and surrender your life to Christ can say, Yes, 
I am going to heaven if somebody asks you and you say, well, how in the world do you know you're going to heaven? Because he was rich but became poor so that I could become rich. And it's all by the grace of God. It's love in action. Grace is love in action. Grace is not sitting on, sitting on anything. It's moving out and doing something, and God did it all for us. So here, listen to this. What are we to do? Look at this. Whatever the issue is in our life, money in this case, relationships in somebody else's case, like the woman at the well, power, job, career. Here you go. Here's something that people worship. Entertainment, hobbies, whatever it is. Jesus is moving us, look at this, as we enter into a relationship from him, not to look at that stuff, replace that old wealth or that old idol with our gaze at a person, him. Are you catching it? In other words, this story right here about the rich young ruler is how we treasure Christ. The more that we look upon what Christ accomplished, rich, poor, to make us rich, We gaze upon him. We replace the do mentality with the relationship love mentality of loving the one, the rich one who became poor for our sakes. We'll be the wealthiest of all. Because see, nobody can take away our relationship with Christ. They could strip away like Job, relationships, money, livestock, our dignity, whatever that is, our status. The world can punch us in those ways, and they'll never come and grab the treasure that I have with Christ or you have with Christ. They'll never do it. Nobody could. So that we learn, listen to this, just like Job, we learn when we're doing this, when we're living this way, we're learning to take our treasure, that is Christ, and taking our circumstances and putting our circumstances outside of the treasure so that this was always there. So if these things, the circumstances, get haywire or bad or ugly, It'll never affect your joy. Isn't that beautiful? Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. But here, why? Because you're a follower of him. You're gazing upon his beauty. You recognize him as the one rich ruler who we are to gaze upon. Don't gaze upon yourself and your accomplishments, but gaze upon him and his accomplishment. Then whatever he gives you to do, if he calls you to be a great executive downtown, do it. If he calls you to work and pick up the trash outside, do it as under the Lord. And just keep blessing him. And so he goes on and he says in verse 24, and when Jesus saw that he'd become very sorrowful, man. By by the way, I forgot to tell you this part. In the other gospel account, it says when he responds to him that you still lack one thing, it says that he looks upon him in love. Jesus recognized he was missing 
him, Jesus, as the run rich ruler who had become poor. You see what I'm saying? He looked upon him in love. He had compassion on him. I, on the other hand, might be tempted to say, come on, wake up, pop. Jesus looked upon him in love and is trying to still move him towards grace. Well, he becomes sorrowful, and Jesus saw it, and he said, well, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. You see the danger of riches. We talked about it. It can do a lot of things to us. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Again, we, it's not just about riches, but riches can make it difficult. The eye of a needle, no way a camel's going through. And then you all have heard the story. There's a short gate, a small gate in Israel. And some people were saying that camel would no way could get through that gate. But what Jesus is trying to say is watch your riches By the way, how, people always ask, well, how much should I give? Well, the Old Testament said 10%. That's probably a good starting point. But you know what the New Testament says? It says be a hilarious, graceful, planned out, serious, consistent giver. And it adds one thing. It ought to be a sacrifice. You know what's really funny? Is the statistics in the church say that the richer people give less percentage of their money than the poorer people? Isn't that funny? wonder why that is. It's because money is dangerous spiritually. <laughs> and so here we go. Keep going with me. And those who heard it said, well, who then can be saved? It's kind of funny, right? But you have to know what the Jews thought back then. The Jews thought if you were wealthy and prosperous, you must be a holy person. If you weren't uh, wealthy and prosperous, something's wrong with you. We know that's certainly not the case. Just read the book of Job. Look at Paul's life. And then Peter said, see, this is funny to me. Peter, man, I so identify with Peter. Who here likes to put their foot in their mouth? Yeah, I, I don't know if I like it, but it happens often. Here he says, well, wait a minute, man. You know, Jesus, we've left all and followed you. Isn't that funny? That's funny to me. Don't forget about us. Remember us here. And Jesus gives this amazing answer. All of you should clutch to. I'm clutching to it, man. He said to them, assuredly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children. Now remember, folks, we talked about this on several occasions. You ha are to have an unshared love with God. It's not that you hate your family. No, you're supposed to take care of your family and love them. But he's to have our highest love, this unshared love with you and God. Then your family, right? Who, who've left your brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in this present time. In other words, you're going to receive a lot. And in the age to come, eternal life. Well, what, what is he talking about there? You know, these apostles here were the foundation for the early church. Ephesians tells us this. And in, in heaven, in Revelation 21... Verse 14, there's going to be the 12 foundations, like columns, that are going to have the names of the 12 apostles on them. 
So they're going to have a special place, but read what it says. I say to you, there is no one who has left his house or parents, etc., who shall not receive many more times more in this present time and in the age to come. You say, wow, really? If I sacrifice now, I'm actually going to be blessed now? Does that mean if I give a hundred bucks, I'm going to get a thousand back? Nope, doesn't mean that. If you believe that, you just got to tell you, doesn't always happen like it says on TV. But what will you get back? You're going to get back lots. Look at this. You're going to get back lots for the sake of the kingdom of God. What are you going to get back? You're going to get back the peace and security of knowing the one who was rich, who became poor to make you rich. The peace and security that's outside of circumstantial things so that even if some circumstances go bad, you still have joy. That's worth gazillion dollars and more. That's worth your life to be reconciled back to the Father, to know that you're going to spend eternity with him. Did you see it? And in the age to come, eternal life. It's not that you're going to get eternal life in the age to come, that you're going to realize more and more what it is, this blessing to have eternal life. That's what this means. And then he takes the 12 aside. So amazing. They might, must be saying, yes, bring it on. <laughs> Wow, we did this for three years. Fantastic. We're finally going to get our reward. Wonderful. And he says, well, wait a minute, guys. i got to tell you something again for the third time in this gospel. For the third time, I need to tell you something. He took the 12 and he says, hey, we're going to Jerusalem, remember? And that means death. And all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished, for he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. And you can look in Luke 22, uh, 65, or 63 through 65, and this very thing happened. And they're going to scourge him, those little, that cat of, of nine tails, that little whip with the bone and, and the, 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 the lead balls on there so that when it hits, it tenderizes the back and then it grabs the, the flesh and pulls off. That's what he's going to endure. They're going to kill him. But that won't all be it. it. The third day he will rise again. And that was very important to the scriptures. Remember uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, turn over there. It's very important. In the early profession or confession, however you want to say it, of the early church. Don't miss this. Moreover, brethren, verse 1, chapter 15, 1 Corinthians, I declare to you the gospel. In other words, here comes the gospel which Paul preached to you, I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, here it comes, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. And not just died for our sins, he did it according to the scriptures. All those prophecies in the Old Testament predicting he would have to die, the suffering servant. And that he was buried, he was put in a tomb, and they sealed it, and they put a guard around it, and that he arose again the third day, according to the scriptures. In other words, that's the gospel. Don't forget, he not only died, he rose again. And that's important, because if he didn't rise again, we would be stupid, stupid, I'm using the word on purpose, to be here. We, it wouldn't matter. 
He isn't who he says he is. The, the sacrifice would never have been accepted by God, but he did rise again, and he sits at the right hand. The sacrifice is accepted. We become accepted. Yeah, that's amazing. So here, the third day he rise again, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. <laughs> And they did not know the things which were spoken. Man, can you see? They really wanted the crown and the power and the resource, but didn't want to go through the cross. They just refused to believe. Sometimes, folks, it's good to be in the valley because the Lord's working on us. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho, Now, this happens in a couple of the Gospels. Fascinating story because some of the Gospels say he's leaving Jericho. Some, he's coming into Jericho. You go, oh, found a discrepancy in the Bible. No, you didn't. There were two Jerichos, the old city and the new one built by Herod the Great, and it's probably what Jesus was doing was leaving Jericho and going to the next Jericho. And that's where he was doing this. There were actually two blind persons. One is Bartimaeus. We know from Mark 10, verse 46. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road. So was he coming or going? The answer is yes, because he was in between. He was hearing a multitude passing by, and he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. Listen to what he does. Somehow, some way, he knew this messianic title He cried out saying, Jesus, son of David. That's a messianic title. He knew Jesus was the Messiah. Because remember, in 2 Samuel 7, God made a covenant with the house of David that the king of Israel, the Messiah of Israel, would come from that line. And he knew it. And he says, have mercy on me. He pleads mercy. Withhold from me, Lord, what I deserve. That's what he was yelling. Have mercy when you ask for mercy. Lord, withhold from me what I deserve. Are you catching the difference between him and the rich young ruler? Rich young ruler comes and says, I'm pretty good. I can come to, the, come to God because I've kept the commandments. A blind man says, withhold from me what I deserve. And you're the Messiah. And then those who went before him warned him. Warned him. Can you imagine? Hey, shut up, man. This is the Messiah trying to get by. He's going to the cross. Jericho's right at the foot from that Judean wilderness. It's going way up to Jerusalem. It's real like this. That's where he's going. Shut up, will you? Just be quiet. It didn't stop him. Do you see how helpless he is? He knows this is his one chance that the Lord's going by. It's his one chance. It's his one chance. He knows it. He says, oh my goodness, I got to stop him. Lord, have mercy on me. And then the next one is he screams it. Lord, have mercy. Son of David, have mercy on me. He cried out all the more. It's a scream. And Jesus, look at this, stops. Which is fascinating because Jesus always responds to this needy faith. It don't matter to Christ that he's walking to his death. Can you imagine? Many of us would be tempted to say, not now, pal. I don't have the problems you have. 
I got more important business to take care of, not Jesus. He stopped him in his tracks. In other words, he loves you, and he'll stop and take the time. But he responds to faith. He responds to trust. You say, well, I don't have a lot of faith. Oh, that's okay. Just mustard seed faith. Just have a little. Even when you're faithless, he remains faithful. Just a spark. Here, he cries out. He's persistent. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? It reminds me of uh, James, half-brother of Christ, writing out by, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You don't have because you don't ask. <laughs> you don't have. What do you want me to do for you? And he says, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Now, you know this, right? Turn over to 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It says this, or actually start in three, but even if our gospel is veiled, veiled, verse three, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and ourselves your bondservants, for Jesus' sake, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, this is a picture. This really happened, but this is a picture of what the world's like. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're turning on the news and you're pulling out your hair and you're getting frustrated and mad, stop it! You're watching what's being piped into your living room is the world. They're different. Not to be spiritually superior, the world is different than us. Of course, they're veiled to the gospel. Here we see what it takes. What do you do? What do you, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, I want you to heal me, my blindness. Folks, if you're concerned about that box that's being piped in, the news of the world, then come to the prayer meeting and get on your knees and plead for people to have the veil lifted by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're concerned about people in your life who don't know the Lord, pray to you and pray and pray and pray and keep praying and the Lord will do it. Amen. And share and share and share and forgive and forgive and forgive. In other words, live like a Christian supposed to by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let your light so shine before men that they're going to look and go, wow, there's something different. And when the Lord takes the veil off, here we are. Come on in. We'll train you up in what the word of God is and send you back out for more. Right? That's our mission. It's so it stays the same. COVID, no COVID, mass, no mass, vaccine, no vaccine. It don't matter. Our mission is always the same. Jesus says, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. He always responds through faith. It's not faith in our faith, though. Forget that. It's faith in him. It's the means by which... He moves. It, 
Your faith isn't what made you well. It's your faith in Christ that made you well, just so you remember that. Right. And immediately he received his sight and followed him. Look at this. Look at this. Wouldn't it be tempting if you were Jesus? And here's what would be tempting. And they glorified God, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Jesus always was there to do the work and will of the Father. So even when he was here on earth, he did things that glorified God. Now, that's a temptation for us. Hey, did you know I was down here cleaning the church all week? Uh, You know, you might not know this, but I gave about 20,000 last year to the church. Well, how do I know it now if I wasn't supposed to know it? Or, Or whatever, whatever it is. No, 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 no. All the things, if you think there's anything good in me or you or us, if there's anything good in us, it's only because of God. Praise God for anything that's happened. Praise him. Isn't that beautiful? Here's what I want you to know. If there's anybody here or anybody watching, Jesus is passing by today. He's here He wants you to know him in a real and saving way, and you can't just mentally assent to it. Oh, yeah, I like to dabble in Christianity. It's pretty cool to come in here and learn some moral stories. He leaves you no room for that. He says, take up your cross and follow me. It's the only way. Oh, yeah, intellectually I know this, and I'm going to relate to other people through my person. Yeah, God bless you, man. Yeah, yeah, but what about your will? Have you submitted your will? Have you just said, Lord, you take all of me? I'll count on you for all things. I, I just want to come spiritually poor to you, and you tell me in the Sermon on the Mount, if we come spiritually poor, if we're poor, we'll inherit the kingdom of God. So I don't know uh, if that's happened for you, but I don't want you to just go out of here and say, no, I'm a pretty good guy, or I'm a pretty good girl. No, 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 we're all helpless before the Lord. So as I pray, if that's something that the Lord's moving in your heart, I want you to pray with me. And then, but also, listen, come up afterwards and talk to us about what it is that the Lord's saying to you. Have you just kind of been following from afar? Do you have one foot in and one foot out? Have you something that's higher, be honest, that you're treasuring more than Christ? Well, pray with me. Let's pray together and then come up and let's talk about it. Excuse me after. Lord, I thank you for these folks and their hearts to know you. I thank you that they would come and listen to your word, Lord. But Lord, you want us. You don't want our doing. You want our trusting, our receiving. And then, Lord, you ask us to go out and do. Lord, May we recognize this is all by your grace, that you, a rich one, became poor. The ultimate rich one became poor so that we could be rich. And we are rich, Lord. We can have joy and strength and peace and comfort and courage, all independent of our circumstances. There's nothing that could be better than that. Knowing you, Christ, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.